Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So who is the Bucks' most exciting rookie, and what's the number of wins Dirk Cutter and Jason Light need to keep their jobs? Who needs to step up for the Lightning to beat the Caps and go to the Stanley Cup Final? And what can the Rays do to capture the community spirit like the Lightning, other than win? It's time to empty the mailbag when you get to ask the questions, and only I know the answers. All this on the Thursday edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Bursnick. Before we get started... I want to tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and get a free 30-day trial. That's a $15 value. And as a listener to this podcast, you get a free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com slash sportsday. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash sportsday for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. Hey, thanks for all your questions submitted to Sports Day Tampa Bay. You always can do that at Twitter at Sports Day TV or to myself at NFL Stroud. Surprising large number of Bucks questions, of course, with the rookie minicamp, which begins Friday through Sunday. A big week coming up in sports. you got the Lightning hosting the Caps in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Final. That's Friday at 8 p.m., and the Bucks have the rookie minicamp. The Rays are off today, but they're going to play 11 games in 10 days in three time zones. They go to Baltimore, Kansas City, and then to Anaheim. So uh, a busy week, and then, of course, a uh, big golf tournament up in uh, the Jacksonville area and so it's going to be uh, going to be a great week of sports but let's get right to the question steve what do we got we'll start out with uh, jimmy who asked the bucks have the second hardest strength of schedule in the nfl for 2018 what do you think is the minimum number of wins for dirt cutter and jason light that they need to keep their job i don't know that, i mean that's it's always tough to put a number of wins because you don't know how the season unfolds um for example you know if you're sitting with nine and it looks like you're going to make the playoffs um, you know, say you're nine and three, but then your quarterback goes down and you lose the last four, is that Dirk Cutter's fault? So, um, you know, but injuries aside and suspensions and all those things, look, I think they have to have a winning season. I don't, I don't know how eight and eight gets you back. Um, do they have to make the postseason? Well, it's been t- 10 straight years. Um, Jason Light's been here, you know, he's had five drafts and has not made a postseason. Um, you know, Dirk Cutter obviously has not either. So, yeah, I think in a way it's playoffs or bust, but in terms of number of wins, uh, I think you need nine, you know, to, to have a chance at, a, at, you know, even a look at a playoff spot. And I think you have to at minimum post a, a winning season. So I'm going to say nine and seven with certain circumstances, but in all probability, you know, it's, it's generally, as Raheem Morris used to say, you know, it's a race to 10 and then he won 10 and it really needed 11, but um, double digits is something that hasn't been done here very often in the, in the history of the Bucks, maybe like five times, if you can believe that. Um, so, you know, somewhere between nine and 10 would, would probably be a sweet spot. Well, we'll continue on that uh, path. We're less asked. Vegas has the over under at six and a half games. ESPN has them ranked 24th in the league. Vegas is usually pretty good about these things. So he's worried. He says, if we have another double digit loss season, does Winston get an extension next off season or play on a one year deal? I don't – well, 
let's see. The six and a half, they are very good at it. Um, I might take the over, but I think what they're factoring in there is Jameis Winston. I mean, this this all kind of surrounds what we don't know as we sit here. Um, after a six-month investigation, there's no determination as to what, if any, games he may miss. Uh, I think Vegas might move that line um, if you can get it moved if they find out that Jameis Winston is going to be available to start the season. But I think they're factoring that in. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, if it's not a good year, um, I think Jameis gets one more season. I don't think he gets the extension. I think he plays or begins to play at least under the fifth-year option, might play the whole season at $20 million. It would be a new coaching staff and a new GM coming in to try to save the franchise quarterback. Remember, there's never been a quarterback make it to a second contract with the Bucs. Um, so in that scenario, it's guaranteed only against injury, and you could always, if he had a good year, you have the franchise tag available, or you could use the offseason uh, after you franchise him to try to sign him to a long-term extension, which you would think at that point he'd be willing to do. So uh, I hope that's ans- answered your question, but uh, I don't think he gets the extension per se if, uh, if they have another bad year. Okay, Gonzo asks, besides the obvious standouts, Winston and McCoy, who would you consider the most pivotal pivotal player on the Bucks roster? Um, you know, it, it, I, I went round and round about this. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a really good question. Um, I, I think you could go a lot of different directions. I mean, you know, certainly, you know, one of their best players that has to play big in addition to those two guys is Mike Evans. Um, you know, I think you, you could, you know, look at – um, you know, just a lot of positions that are vital, the running back position with Ronald Jones. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that it's Jason Pierre-Paul, and the reason being that they just haven't had a consistent, you know, rusher off the edge. And, and Pierre-Paul uh, could be very motivated having been traded. That Sometimes that shakes a guy up a little bit. They play the Giants this year, so he'll be going back to play them. Um, but I, I believe that, you know, to not have had a, a double-digit sacker since Simeon Rice in 05, if you could get you know 10 uh, or more sacks from him and as many snaps as he played, he played over 1,000 last year for the Giants, he would be a big key because I think the defense, you know, that was the single thing they lacked a year ago, only 22 sacks, the worst in the NFL. That made them the worst defense in the NFL. It hurt their secondary, which is not, I think, even today a strong point. So I would say that um, it's probably Jason Pierre-Paul. All right. Rooting for UF and Ellis both had questions kind of about free agency left. Uh, specifically, any positions the Bucks could still address with free agency? And more specifically, how much salary cap do they have remaining now post-draft? And what free agents do you see as targets? Well, um, they don't have much money at all. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I think they're sitting here at 12, a little over $12 million, $12.2 million. And they have to. That does not include, uh, you know, them having to sign eight draft picks. Remember, they, um, you know, traded down and picked up some extra picks, so they had three in the second round, which is going to tie up some money for them. Um, so really, that's that's about it for the money. I mean, they might have enough uh, to do one more extension, like say for an, an Ali Marpet. Uh, I kind of expect maybe him or or one of those guys uh, that that would be coming up for free agency after this year to maybe get locked down. But that's that's really all the money they have. Um, it, it it you know twelve point two in salary cap room isn't a lot when you still got all those draft picks. As far as free agents goes, I mean there are some guys out there. I think it's interesting. 
too, for all the people that were, you know, wringing their hands about Robert Ayers getting cut, he's still available for somebody. Uh, and I don't think they're bringing him back unless there were an injury. But, uh, you know, the guy that's uh, filing agreements uh, against the NFL, Eric Reed, and, and I, for the same reason he hasn't been picked up, I don't think the Bucks necessarily pick him up, but he is a safety. Uh, they're a little short at the safety position. Uh, cornerback, uh, you know, Bashad Breland's out there. Um, so, you know, th- there's some guys, but in all, in all likelihood, they would probably lean more towards an undrafted free agent, um, you know, one of the rookie undrafted free agents that they have in camp uh, to, make, to make this team rather than a veteran, unless there's an injury. And I would say this, that you don't know, you know, last year, of course, you know, T.J. Ward became available. There's always – Always guys getting cut that aren't aren't cut yet that you don't necessarily expect this time of year to be falling out, and uh, somebody will, and those guys will get picked up. So it's it's more than likely a guy that's on somebody else's roster right now. All right, uh, we have a two-part question now. Demarius asks, will Chris Conte start the season, and if so, why? And Roland follows up with, do you think that Godwin Igwebuke could be a hidden gem starter at strong safety? You know, um, people are often fascinated for whatever reason with Chris Conte. They don't think he's a very good player. And, I, I mean, I guess he's, he's not a Pro Bowl player. I will say this, though. Mike Smith loves the guy. <laughs> and um, the reason he does is that he, he, is, he is kind of this unique athlete. Um, you know, he's, uh, he, he's, able to, he's able to do th- some things in coverage because he's a bigger body guy. Um, and yet, you know, he's stout enough to come down in the box at strong safety and, and play the run. So as far as Conti goes, I, I think it would, you know, have to do with, you know, sort of what, what happens with their draft picks. If there's somebody that can step up, um, you know, and, and win a job. I mean, Jordan Whitehead is the guy they drafted at safety out of Pittsburgh. He's a smallish guy. He's 5'11", 195. He is, he is a box type guy, though. He can come down there and play close to the line of scrimmage. So, and as far as, you know, the other guy you mentioned, Godwin Igwebuike, covered his dad, by the way, um, who was a place kicker. And he was, he's an interesting player. I give him a really good chance to make this football team. He was a four-year starter at Northwestern, which is a pretty high level. Uh, his first career start there, in fact, he had three interceptions against uh, Wisconsin. And, um, you know, and I know he, he sort of planned on being drafted, uh, but he was highly, highly coveted when that draft ended and teams started calling. And there was a lot of interest um, from the Bucks in particular. I think they gave him probably the most money as an undrafted free agent uh, of the guys they have. So I think Igwe Buike um, will probably make this team. And if he, and if he shows up, it's, it's not, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a position that's open because, remember, they took Vita Vea instead of Derwin James. And Derwin James would have walked in here as the perfect, you know, strong safety for them. They had Vea rated higher. So this is sort of, you know, a way to try to recapture a player or two that can can step into that safety spot because that's one of the open positions on this team. Mike asks, speaking of draft and rookies, were you a little surprised that the Bucks did not draft a pass rusher? They should be collecting them, not just looking for one or two guys. Well, there just weren't any guys. I mean, when I say there weren't any guys, you know, obviously Bradley Chubb was in a class by himself. Um, I, you know, they came close to him. He went two picks before their number seven pick, which they then traded down. It there just wasn't it wasn't a great draft for defensive ends, and that's really what they what they needed. I mean, they took Vita Vea, uh, obviously at number uh, what number twelve, and picked up some extra picks. 
Uh, and sometimes the draft just doesn't fall right for the ends. Now, you know, I think that's why Jason Light went really hard in the offseason to rebuild the defensive line and found veterans. You know, Vinny Curry was a guy that was cut late by the Philadelphia Eagles. He's going to play end. Uh, he has the potential of being a three-down player. They're certainly going to a rotation. Um, they got some inside guys, too, obviously, with Bo Allen, uh, you know, Unrein from Chicago. Uh, and then, you know, the other guys, Jason Pierre-Paul, we just talked about. So, uh, you know, and, and having said all that, the guy that's the wild card that I think they're banking on is Noah Spence. And Noah Spence has had, you know, two surgeries now on his shoulder that continue to pop out. They really do believe that they have that that thing healed now, that it's it's he's not going to suffer that type of injury. You never know. Um, he has yoked up, man. Uh, that guy has spent a lot of time in the weight room rehabbing. And, you know, he's only 250-something pounds. And, and one of the reasons why he didn't hold up, quite frankly, is he's 256 pounds. So if you put him out there on first down or second down, Teams are going to spot him and try to run it down downhill at him. And you're, he's going to get the tight end. He's going to get running backs chipping. And it's very hard for him to hold up. Well, now he's going to be used as a designated pass rusher, which is what I think his career is pretty much going to be. And I think he'd be really effective at doing that. You know, if he only comes in premier passing downs uh, on third down, you know, chance to impact the game just by rushing and using his speed. So, um, I, I, it's a combination of, I don't think it fell right. And I think, I think they feel pretty good, uh, sort of about the rotation of ends that they have now. Well, Chris asks us, what are some things that to expect from the Bucks rookie minicamp this weekend and which rookie excites you the most? Well, first of all, rookie minicamps are, are very interesting. Um, it, it's a little bit of a cattle call. I mean, it's a little bit like, okay, we've drafted these guys. Now let's, let's sort of like get them all together and sort of see them you know, on the field, on the grass, wearing our uniform or our helmets. Look, they can't, it's not, it's not football. It's the underwear Olympics. And, you know, what they're trying to do is throw a ton of stuff at them in the classroom, um, you know, replicate what a normal day would be with meetings in the morning and practice in the afternoon, uh, give them the first introduction to heat. Although, you know, this is May, it's not August or September when it's going to be a lot harder. And, and so, you know, it's not – sometimes it's very difficult. Like, for example, they don't have – they didn't draft a quarterback per se. So, you know, you don't know – you know, the arms they got thrown, they, I think they got two tryout guys. Um, you know, let's say if you had drafted a receiver, uh, and they did, they got – you know, they obviously got one um, from the Ivy League, from Penn. But, it, but you, you know, you may not have a guy that can get the ball to him. So what are you really watching, right? Watching a guy run routes, that sort of thing. Uh, obviously Vita Vea is not going to be able to do anything. The lineman can't really engage. It's non-contact. Um, so I don't, the, to answer your question, I don't expect to see much. Um, I think you'll see guys, you know, on grass, you'll see, you know, some, some coverage things maybe, uh, with the defensive backs. And it's really just to confirm, uh, they've done all the work they need to do. And, you know, they had these guys rated where they were and they, and they took them. So, they have to be happy with the players. It's a it's an introduction though for a lot of undrafted free agents that they haven't spent time with, um, guys like Igwe Bike, which we talked about. Uh, a chance for them to see them with the other draft picks and kind of rate them with their class. Um, so so that's important. As far as the most important rookie, I would say there's a couple of them I would keep my eye on. Um, the first one, which I think might have one of the biggest impacts of, on the team, 
is Ronald Jones, the running back out of USC. You know, this is a, an explosive runner that's kind of a home run hitter. He had 12 runs or 40 yards or more. That's what the Bucks have not had from the running back position with Doug Martin for a number of years now. I think three out of the four years, you know, he's uh, rushed for less than 500 yards. So uh, Ronald Jones could change this team, could transform their offense, take pressure off of Jameis Winston, et cetera. He's considered sort of a natural pass catcher, although they just didn't throw him the ball much at USC. So those are the sort of things you can see uh, in practice. You know, does he does he catch the ball well? Uh, does it look like he can be, um, you know, someone that can handle pass protection? And even though there's, again, limited contact. The other guy would be the corner from Auburn, um, Carlton Davis. And and I say this because he's he's a body type they don't have at that point at that position. He's 6'1", he's 203, he can play zone, he can play man. Uh, he's real aggressive, he's an extremely hungry guy if you talk to him. Uh, really excited about about football, um, you know, sort of has a swagger to him a little bit. And, you know, when you when you look at a guy like a Vernon Hargraves who's, you know, was drafted in the first round, they're already talking about him as a slot corner. And then Brent Grimes is your other corner who's, you know, 35 years old, albeit, you know, has you know his looks and his athleticism kind of belie his age, but he's still 35. So you don't have an abundance of corners, and I really think this uh, this uh, Carlton Davis guy could be somebody to watch. All right, you mentioned the Heat as part of the rookie minicamp, although it is only May. But Douglas wrote us and said, "I'm very much against this fat guys can't play football in the Florida Heat. Maybe the Bucks haven't had a ton of players over 340 pounds that have had success, but how many were first round picks?" Also, other teams' big men don't seem to have a problem playing in the Florida Heat. Well, okay, let, let me address this Heat thing because it got a lot of traction on uh, on the Internet, um, especially on my timeline. I made a comment, and, and really it was based on a conversation I had with Warren Sapp. And no matter what you think of Warren Sapp, the guy knows football, okay? And he played it here in Tampa. And then he went to Oakland where there's no Heat, so he knows the difference. Um, but you know, Sap was 303 pounds. I, I think the point that Warren has been making, um, and isn't afraid to say so, is that you know this defense has always sort of been built on speed. And I know that they like Vita Vea. I mean, he runs a 5040 or whatever. Um, he's a very athletic guy. He played running back in high school. There's nothing wrong with his feet. Okay, um, you know they they think he's you know for a guy that size, and they always preface it with well. For a guy that size, you know, 347 pounds, I would just say this. When, when, where was the 347-pound defensive tackle that you've seen in Tampa? And, yeah, do guys come in here for three hours from, up, from other, you know, other you know, teams that play elsewhere and, and survive it? Yeah, they do. Um, you know, did, everybody brings up John Henderson and Marcus Stroud, and quite frankly um, – you know, that's one that's the sort of guys that I think Mike Smith is comfortable with. I think he likes having a big body in there um, to, you know, help keep people off his linebackers and, and whatnot. It's just that football has evolved since then. And, you know, uh, Marcus Stroud and John Henderson, by the way, weren't as big as Via Vea. I mean, I think Henderson might have gone close to 330. Um, I think Marcus Stroud was, you know, maybe in the 310 range. Uh, they were both like six six and six seven. They were a lot taller than Vea, or at least an inch or two taller. So we'll see. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I, I was to, people were telling me he grew up in California, um, sort of inland where it gets to be a hundred degrees. 
But I'm telling you, there, if you've grown up here, or you, you've been spending time here, you know um, that the humidity is what is what gets you. I mean, there's just so much weight loss from from the humidity in the water. Um, and, you know, teams don't just line up and run, you know, the power O. They don't, they don't have the, you know, the ISO fullback lead blocks and stuff like that that are just coming downhill between the tackles as much. It's a speed game. It's, you know, uh, uh, sort of, you know, get to the perimeter game. And depending on the defense, you know, he may be asked to cover from the A gap all the way out to, you know, the D gap, which is a lot of space to have to run play after play after play. Uh, and I'm just wondering, you know, I, I think he will adjust or cut or thought I was crazy for bringing it up, but um, I'm just wondering how he will adapt. And, and all signs are that he, you know, he'll be okay, but he played at the University of Washington where it does not get very humid or very hot for the most part, as far as I know. So, look, let's see. We just, they've never had a body type like, like Vita Vea. And, and in addition to that, you know, you got some other big guys – um, you know, that are, uh, you know, Stevie, uh, Tui Kolovatu is, a, is another big body. Um, you got, some, you got like three, what is it? 320, 326, and now 347, uh, in terms of defensive tackles on that line. So it's going to be interesting. I, th- I think it's something to watch, but everybody, everybody thinks I'm crazy. I don't know. I kind of, I tend to agree with Warren Sapp. I think, I think he knows what he's talking about, but that's not to say the guy's not an exceptional football player. And if he handles it, um, he should be he should be fine, I guess. All right, we got one final Bucks question, but it's about the Ring of Honor, and it's from Rich, and he says, assuming that two go in this year after Dungey, is this the year that Hardy Nickerson finally gets in the Ring of Honor, or will Rondé be the next one? Um, I think there's no question that Rondé is the next one, and um, I don't know if they're going to announce that this year. If there's going to be two this year or one, seems like we've been on a like warp speed. Um, we're up to twelve now, I believe, and. If you do two a year, you're you know you're either going to run out of players or run out of space on the ring. So, um, but if they did, the next guy I think should be Ronnie Barber. Look, he has played the most games in team history. He played for 16 years. Um, you know, I think he had the most starts in team history. Broke broke Paul Gruber's uh, uh, streak. Um, you know, career interception leader. One of only two players in NFL history to have you know at least 40 interceptions and and 20 plus sacks. Um, along with Charles Woodson. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It was a Hall of Fame semifinalist. I mean, all those things tell me that you know now that you have Brooks, Sapp, and Lynch in there, and then the head coach John Gruden, who should be next? You know from that Super Bowl team, I think it's Rodney Barber. Um, after that, I had Nickerson on the list, um, pretty close to Rondé. Nickerson was a guy that wasn't with the Super Bowl team, but he totally changed the culture of of their football team and of their defense. He came in here under Sam Weich when they could not attract a free agent to Tampa Bay, and he came from Pittsburgh, and Anybody will tell you from Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, all those guys that, you know, Hardy Hardy changed the culture as much as any single player. 
um, and did it with, you know, the way he practiced and just the fire that he brought to, to every huddle, being the quarterback of that defense. Um, so he should be in there somewhere. One of the guys I left out, and I don't know why, and just it sort of, it sort of goes with his career a little bit, um, that I think should be there is Simeon Rice. Simeon Rice has Hall of Fame numbers. Simeon Rice should get more consideration for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He did. He didn't make it to this, as a semifinalist last year, but he did. He did get on the radar a little bit. And you know, this is a guy that averaged over ten sacks a year in his career. Um, many of those spent here in Tampa Bay, and I think that defense came alive when you know they got him from Arizona and you know put him you know sort of on the edge with Sap, um, Booker McFarland, and all those guys. Um, and so, you know, I sort of overlooked him, and that's sort of what has happened with him. After that, I think work done gets consideration. And a guy that no one really talks about that I was looking at his numbers is James Wilder. James Wilder is still the Bucks' all-time leading rusher, um, nearly 6,000 yards, and, you know, still has the most carries in Bucks history, um, you know, the most receptions of any player in Bucks history. You know, one year, I think he touched it almost 450 times, which is just unheard of. So uh, I think at some point, if you go old school, James Wilder is another name that you'll hear. All right, now we'll switch over to the Lightning, who are getting ready to take on the Washington Capitals Friday night in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals at Amelie Arena. Adam asks, has a team with a bottom five penalty kill ever won a Stanley Cup? I have no idea, Steve, do you? I mean, that's, that's one of those weird stats that I, I would think Probably, maybe. I mean, I, I don't, but I do know this year that I believe three of the sixteen playoff teams were in the bottom five of penalty kill. Yeah, which seems bizarre. I, now the Lightning's penalty kill in this postseason has been a lot been great. better. Now they've given up yeah. several five on threes, but you don't expect to stop many five on threes, especially if they're long. Their, right. Their five on four penalty kill has been much better this postseason. Yeah, and yet I still think that. You know, especially in that Boston series. I mean, Boston could not handle them five on five. Um, so any penalty at all gives them their best opening. And for a while, uh, would they go three games without scoring a goal five on five, mm-hmm. um, or the equivalent of that? So in Washington's uh, another team you don't want to put on the power play. The two best power right. play teams in the postseason have been Boston and Washington. Right. So yeah, I mean. It's a concern. I, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know the history, whether one has made it or not. I just think they're playing better defense overall. And, you know, it starts with your goaltender. I mean, if you, if you have to be on the penalty, I, I'll take Vasilevsky, you know, with anybody in the league right now. He's your best penalty killer. So, but the five on threes, they can't, they can't make a living doing that. And sometimes, like, you know, the other day, what technically was a five on four when they scored – um, but they were still on their heels, and you know it had just flipped over from the five on three. So I don't even think you count that. So, you know, if, if his point is that you know that you got to watch out for the penalty kill, well, you can't you can't be in the box in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, you know, points are at such a premium to give a, a team a man advantage. Um, that's that's just death if you do that. So, um, you know, that that's something like you said they they can't do against Washington and. I think they've done a little better than they did in the regular season. Steven asks, which player on the Lightning needs to step up this series to ensure that the Lightning move on to the Stanley Cup Finals? I've always believed that in any sport, you know, when you get in the in the postseason in particular, your best players have to be your best players. You know, there's there's only so many A guys. Um, and, you know, as far as the Lightning go, I mean, we, we know 
you know, the the Braden points and those guys have, have you know, maybe been the best line and um, they've showed up at big moments and, and that's great. Um, but I think you need you need to have as much as you can get from Nikita Kucherov. And he has piled up some points in all the playoff series, um, you know, but in terms of goal scoring and just, you know, being, you know, sort of being a problem, you know, and making plays, like being, being somebody – um, like a Sidney Crosby or some, somebody that, you know, is, is just going to take over in big moments. We saw the biggest goal, I think, of his career in Steven Stamkos. He would be the other guy on that line um, that, that needs to show up. You need to notice him. You need to feel him. And they need to be worried about him um, because, you know, uh, but more than that, they, they've got to, they've sort of got to score. They've got to lead the way. And, and uh, I, I think I think they can get more out of those guys. I really do. I think by the time they – if they get through this series, you're going to see Kucherov and, and Stamkos um, probably have more and more uh, points or, or goals anyway uh, in these playoffs. I'm always curious to see the injuries that this team has, and I, I firmly believe Steven Stamkos has an injury of some kind. Um, I don't know if you saw the news out of Boston now that they've had their post-press conferences, but all the injuries that team had, it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, Chara had a broken finger, and he wasn't really mm-hmm. able to grip the stick. Patrice Bergeron's mm-hmm. dealing with a groin injury. Uh, Bacchus had concussion. Uh, Riley Nash had a hip injury. Tory Krug broke his ankle, of course, in the series. Marshan was dealing with a groin injury. Achari has a uh, sports hernia is going to need surgery. Tuka Rask was playing with a bursa sack in his left foot. He's going to have that mm-hmm. drain now. I mean, the amount of injuries that the teams have, and that can affect some of your stars playing well and, and stepping up, and that's why you need to have a deep roster of three, four lines that can score, which the Lightning do have, which is one of the reasons they beat Boston. Boston has one line that can score. And if that line's struggling or not scoring, you're in trouble. And the Lightning do have three three lines that can score. And then you've got your I mean, fourth line, which is a, a really good fourth line. It wouldn't surprise I me. Mean, we know Stamkos you know, had, I guess, essentially a leg injury, maybe a knee or ankle injury um, that he sat out You know, the final, what, four games of the regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wasn't healthy coming in. I don't think anybody is healthy. I mean, that, that report you just gave is probably not – um, that different from a lot of teams when they finish the postseason. I'm sure there's we're going to hear lots of lightning injuries once the season yeah. ends. Once their season ends, usually a lot of that comes out, and you'll know. Yeah, but but I mean, as far as Stamkos, like I, you know, talking to to guys that have watched him practice and skate, you know, they had that long layoff between the first series and and the Boston series, and they did sort of that breakneck, you know, three on three drill or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they they tell me at least that. If you just watch him on the ice, he doesn't appear to be skating or, or you know any kind of laboring at all. Like he still seems fast. He um, you know he's putting in all the work. Uh, uh, there doesn't there doesn't seem like just just putting eyes on him. But and then you see him in the playoffs, and he sort of seems to disappear a little bit. And I don't know. I mean, it's I, I'm sure he's hurt because he was hurt going in. That's why they sat him out the last four games. So it can't be getting better if you're playing more. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't disagree with you, Steve. I think, I think we will find out that Stamkos probably has something a little more serious than we realize. And we'll transition to the Rays now to wrap this up. And Les asked that I said yesterday's podcast that the Braves have the two youngest players in major league baseball. And he says, this would never happen with the Rays. Are we leaving our position players in the minors too long? And could this be a reason we have trouble developing position players? No, I, I think you just have trouble developing players and that's why they don't make it to the majors especially position players you know this steve this this franchise has had an unbelievable run of uh, pitching prospects 
whether their own or guys they traded for like Chris Archer. Um, you know, so they, they've been fortunate in that respect. But they've been god-awful um, really since, I don't know, 08. <laughs> um, you know, finding guys, drafting and developing position players. I mean, if Kevin Kiermeyer is your biggest name that's come up through the minor leagues and is – you know, sort of become one of your best players. And he's a platinum glove guy, but he's he's not a great hitter by a great offensive threat necessarily by any stretch. And he was a 33rd round draft pick. I mean, where are, you know, all the high draft picks that, that play positions that never made it here? Um, you know, now, you know, are those guys going to come up at some point this year? I think they probably will. The whole arbitration thing is a factor. Um, you know, I don't think they expected to see any of them until – maybe after June, but how many guys down there, Willie Adamas, um, Jake Bowers, I mean, how many guys are we talking about that everyone's waiting, you know, for them to arrive? I, I don't know that there's that many now. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the race farm system has a Ronald Acuna Jr. or Ozzy Albies no. for the Braves or a Chris Bryant for the Cubs a couple of years ago. You know, right. th- they don't have that, that stud hitter that everyone's waiting on that basically is forcing you to call him up because – they're playing so well, you can't keep them down anymore. And you is- almost know, you almost know when you draft those guys that they're going to be special. You know what I mean? Like Bryce Harper, you knew, you know, Chris Bryant. I mean, some of those. Acuna, you know, Acuna was an international free agent signing. Uh, I don't think anyone. I think everyone thought he was pretty good. He signed for a hundred thousand dollars, but I don't think he was not. One this of the, he wasn't that can't miss guy. Then he's really developed right. in the two or three years. Um, you know, everyone knew he was good, but I don't think anyone knew he was this good. But. No, um, but yeah, the the Rays I don't think have those studs like that in their farm system. Now, you know, the the Willie Adamas, the Jake Bauer seem to be better prospects hitting wise than what they've had mm-hmm. in many years, and so there's a lot of right. hope and promise for the Rays there. Uh, but I don't I don't think either any of those have done so well in the minors. You can't you, that you're forced to call them up because they they just no, can't keep them down it, anymore. Yeah, they've, they've already passed that part where they get the extra year. I mean, you got to be down there like 10 days where you don't get the full year of Major League Service in. That that date's already long past. So if they were Longoria-ish, you know what I mean? Like, no, he can help us and he can help us now. Or a Chris Bryant type um, that, you know, he's going to be a difference maker as soon as you bring him up. They, those guys would already be here, I think. I think they, they think that they need more time. Uh, and there is a financial component, but I think they think they need more time to develop in the minor leagues before they get to the big leagues. And CB asks, other than winning, what could the Rays do to ever captivate the community like the Bolts have? Even when the Rays were good, you never saw flags everywhere and this kind of enthusiasm. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I hate to say it, it kind of, to me, winning (laughs) is is the biggest deodorant. So, um, you know, what comes first? But I think ownership has a lot to do with it. And what's the first thing Jeffrey – one of the first things Jeffrey Vinnick did um, was, you know, hire the right people. He hired Stevie Eisenman, who, you know, has been a phenomenal GM, should be executive of the year. And, and the way he has built this team, and not just this team, but their minor league system. Um, so, you know, and then the other thing he did was he put in, you know, $40 million or whatever it was into Emily Arena. He He made that building – um, first class, you know, their game day operations are exciting. They're upbeat. Um, and, and I know, I don't know how many coats of paint you could put on Tropicana field. Um, you know, I think they've done as much as they can to it. It's really lipstick on a pig. That franchise needs a new stadium. Uh, they probably need it to be closer to, uh, their population center in, in, in the Tampa 
rather than uh, Pinellas County. Um, and I think all those things are really important. I just don't know how much marketing you can do. Um, you know, you got to win, but you also have to have, you know, something, the components and, and, you know, revenue streams come with the new stadium and there's so much is tied to that. So I would say build a stadium and fill it with young players, you know, guys that you're going to be, you're going to grow, watch grow up like they did, you know, the 08 raise and, and, you know, Get, get used to them so they can be here for a while. I would disagree that the team has never captivated the community. Um, you know, I, I kind of moved here during that, that the playoff run of the Rays, but from everything I've learned and heard and, and from, you know, observing other markets and, and knowing the situation that, you know, when they started winning in 08 and then, you know, back in 10 and 11 and that, that, you know, kids at, at you know, T-ball and, and young kids, instead of wearing Red Sox and Yankees jerseys, they want Rays jerseys now. They did. And my they're son becoming did, yes. Rays fans. And, yes. you know, it, it takes time. It takes, you know, it, it's not – I lived in Atlanta, too, and Atlanta has the same problems. And the Braves were in tonight, and I was talking to some of the guys about, you know, how, you know, that run of 14 straight championships the Braves had from 91 to 2005 has really shaped that team now. Because, mm-hmm. and I was in Atlanta in 05, which was the last year of that run. But at that point, the five and six and seven and eight year olds that started that run when they started winning, and everyone now wants to be the Braves instead of the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Reds, or whoever else there, yeah. those now were college age and yeah. working age and able to buy tickets and decide to go to games on their own and that. And it, it, it takes generations to change that when no one's from your city. And no one grew up. The older generations didn't grow up rooting for those teams because they weren't around. And it takes time. Baseball. It takes energy. And, yeah. and the Rays have done. They don't get enough credit for you know how you know this is huge. I mean, the, the Rays television broadcast gets huge numbers. People don't realize how big their television broadcasts are. They're t- usually well, top ten. It would in have baseball. to. They're usually top ten in look, baseball. Yeah. Well, look what you look at the deal they just did. I mean, they must have tremendous mm-hmm. ratings because they just got a gazillion dollars for a new TV deal. Yeah. Um, you know, and they haven't won for the last three or four years. And so, right. you know, it may feel like it suffered a little bit, but the, the fan base is there. And, and there's a lot more Rays fans than there were 10 years ago in this market. Um, no, there but, is. And my son is one of those guys. I mean, he, he you know, the, we didn't have a team till 98. He was born in 95. Um, so, you know, he, he grew up with, a, with something that we never had, which was a baseball team in his, in his hometown. Wore Evan Longoria jerseys all the way through high school, almost, you know. Uh, but now now he's just getting into that age where he can buy tickets, you know. And he's still starting his life and doesn't have a ton of money and, and all that. So it was still a few years away. Um, but when they have kids, you know, when you get to the second, third generations, I mean, that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is relatively new. And I, I'll, give the, I'll give the race credit for this. Their redesign, when they went, you know, dropped the devil, changed it to the race, Sternberg bought the team. Uh, the the blue and white uniforms, you know, the whole they rebranded that product better than any I've ever seen uh, a rebranding job uh, in pro sports. So I give them all the credit in the world for that. And you do you still see a lot of race stuff, but you're right, you got to win, Steve. I mean, you oh, know, absolutely. Is, as much as any town that I've ever seen uh, in Florida, I think this is true about Florida. Might be true about Arizona. Some of the teams in the south or the areas in the south, you got to become the thing to do. I mean, you know. The Lightning are winning, and I think hockey is a niche sport, and I think they'll always have 19,000 people. It's a great organization. But now everybody's on the bandwagon. You know, Now people are finding out about hockey that maybe don't watch it every day because it's the thing to do. When the Bucks were winning, 
um, you had to be a season ticket holder. That's why they said that they had 100,000 waiting to get in there. And I remember many, many years, not just games, but years where you wouldn't see another team's jersey in there. They filled that place with, with, uh, you know, with pewter and red. And so, you know, Tampa in, in this area in particular is, are you the thing to do? And right now the Rays aren't. To be know, honest, it's true everywhere. I mean, everyone wants to talk about Boston or whatever. Fenway yeah. Park used to be empty until yeah. they won World Series. It yeah. was empty. Uh, it, that winning, winning brings people to the park. Now, in this market, yep. maybe winning didn't bring as many people, and a lot of that is location and distance from people. And you know, sure. you can talk about six hundred thousand people compared to two million people within thirty minutes if you move the park. But winning, winning changes everything. If, if the Lightning of were, course. if the Lightning were doing what the Buffalo Sabers are doing now and finishing in the bottom three or four teams every year for four or five straight years, that the arena is not going to be sold out. No, no. There's going to be fans there and whatever else, but it's not going to be sold out. I mean, winning and a lot a, of them wearing the other colors. Period. Yeah. Absolutely, winning yeah. is a part of winning is what brings people out. People want to be where where it's exciting and and they want to be that's a part right. of something. That's you know, if you held a parade and your team finished in fifth place, no one's going to show up. But when you win the <laughs> when you win the trophy, everyone shows up. We should do that. We should have a parade for one of the teams that just finishes dead last. Well, I mean, Dan Levitard's show wanted to hold uh, the uh, Cleveland Browns 0-16. They did kind of hold that 0-16 parade for the Browns. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, it was a perfect season just the other way. you got to hold it up to a mirror, I guess. But, um, you know, it's sports are tough, man. Fan, fan base, you got to want it. You know, the tickets aren't free. So, you know, I was just looking at uh, nothing against the NHL, but, man, Stanley Cup uh, tournament, Eastern Conference final tickets. You're down to the final Again. four. Well, there's yeah, five know. left, and, but by the time it plays Friday, it'll be the final and, four. And, so. get, and guess what? They're expensive, man. Oh, They're yes, not they giving are. them away. No. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a tough ticket, and you're going to pay some money for it. But it's a fun ride. I, I You know, we always – look, I, don't, I think if you're in sports, you, I, we always root for the best stories, and it's always more interesting and more people read your stuff, I think. Uh, when there's a team you're covering that's doing well as opposed to one that's not. Although I would submit that some of the best years of writing I've ever had is when it was the biggest dumpster fire at one buck place. So just give me special good or special bad. But special good is different now, especially in Tampa. And and this this is the only the second chance. I mean, you know, they've, they've been to, you know, the Stanley Cup Finals before. Of course, they won a world champion. But there's only been – you know, there's been two world championships in this in this town. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the Lightning. We've been to four finals, right? They've been to four in the Bucks. Bucks in o, Bucks in o two, Lightning won in o four. The they Rays lost. went to the World Series in o eight. And Lightning lost in fifteen. Lightning lost, yeah, in, in two thousand fifteen to the Blackhawks. So those are the only championships you even tried to play for. Um, this is rare air right now, and I I think this Lightning team is the best team in hockey. Um, they, they convinced me this last series, I will be stunned, not overly, so, uh, not like, so where I can't, I put my mortgage on it, but I would be, I'll be stunned if they don't at least get back to the Stanley cup finals. And then once you get there, who knows? I mean, it depends on who you play and who's hurt and who's not. Um, but I, this feels like their year, Steve. It just, it's just kind of, you know, Eiserman has built this thing and added to it. And, um, it's about as deep and as solid and they've, they, up to this point, um, they've avoided the major injury. I know guys are hurt, probably like Stamkos, but um, this just feels like their year. So let's see if they let's see if they go all the way. 
Well, we thank you for your questions. That was a great uh, mailbag today, and we'll, we'll try to do that from time to time and, and get those answered for you. Uh, got a busy week this week, of course, coming up. Uh, preview of uh, tomorrow, Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Lightning and the Washington Capitals. We'll have that for you. The Rays are off. They'll begin an 11-game road trip in 10 days. Uh, carries them through three time zones. That starts in Baltimore on Friday as well. The Bucks rookie minicamp is Friday. We'll have all that. And the Tournament Players Club Championship from Ponte Vedra um, starts as well today. So Tiger Woods is, is in that uh, as well. So there'll be lots to talk about as we head into the weekend. We appreciate you guys joining us. We're here every week, Monday through Friday. Um, we like the interaction. Most of you uh, contacted us through uh, Twitter with these questions. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at SportsDayTB, or you can reach me at Twitter at NFL Stroud. Always email me at rstroud at tampabay.com. And, of course, we'd love for you to rate and review this podcast. And where can they get the podcast, Steve? So anywhere you get your podca- podcast, whether you download it from iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, uh, tune in or SoundCloud. You can like them there. You can uh, leave comments, rate, review, or you can go to tampabay.com slash sports. The latest episode's there, and you can leave your comments there too. Make sure you check back tomorrow. Preview game one, Eastern Conference final, Lightning and the Capitals. I'm Rick Stroud, the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Versnick. Have a great day, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.